All right, it is the week of April 18th, 2022, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Ogier, but before we dive into the lineup, I got to tell you about our new offer from BetUS.com. BetUS.com is offering our listeners an incredible 125% bonus on their deposit for UFC Fight Night Lemos versus Andrade. Use code SureDog and get up to $2,500 in extra money to make Fight Night even better. At BetUS.com, you can not only bet on each fight, but they have loads of awesome parlay bets to choose from. Bet live during the fights, and your winnings are paid within hours. Start the fight at BetUS.com. Use code SureDog. And with that in mind, let's talk about the lineup for today. We're going to talk about UFC fighter wage share, an important piece that Paul Gift put out on Forbes recently. We've got to, got to dissect that and dive into that a little bit, especially with some people still saying that fighters are getting paid a certain amount of money. We've got to just set the record straight from a business perspective there. Uh, we're going to talk about the UFC pay-per-view bar business. It's an old article I found that was brought to my attention. I'd missed it during the pandemic, but it has some good insights that I want to kind of shed some light on that because I don't think people really generally understand how the UFC pay-per-view bar business works. So we're going to dive into that a little bit. We're going to talk about Bellator 277 business implications. From a business perspective, things didn't go the best for Bellator at Bellator 277. We're going to talk about the fallout from that, the ramifications, and what Bellator can do from here to kind of uh, you know move forward. Then we're going to talk about PFL and Rival Gaming Partnership. PFL has announced a gaming partnership with the streaming platform Rival. We're going to dive into that and talk about gaming becoming a bigger sponsorship in general, as well as the overall business there. One championship is in it. Wouldn't be surprised if UFC got Got into it at some point we'll dive into that and and really dissect that as well and lastly we're going to do a good deal bad deal for the pfl deciding that the regular season finale the championship finale is going to be behind pay-per-view on their pay-per-view division is that a good deal or a bad deal for both the consumers and the pfl we'll break all that down as well so as always timestamps are in the bottom and let's go ahead and dive right in all right, so the first thing I want to talk about today is a new piece out on Forbes.com from Professor Paul Giff that talks about UFC fighter wage share titled. UFC fighter wage share held steady at 19 to 20% for 11 straight years. Now, what Gift did here was not look at anything from 2018 and beyond because we just don't have that information, but he extrapolated on some of Nash's work over at Bloody Elbow to look previously before the antitrust lawsuit docs, which the antitrust lawsuit docs covered 2011 through 2017. That was the majority of the financial information we got where, again, these are hard numbers that are in court documents that are undisputable at this point. And it showed us a lot about UFC finances, um, showed us some about Bellator and strike for finances as well, because you had some comparisons in there, but the main period there was 2011 to mid-2017, around the time when Endeavor bought the company. Um, what Gift has done is taken some other work that Nash, again, had pieced together and extrapolated on it to go backwards to about 2007 and found that between 2007 and mid-2017, again, about 11 years, uh, fighter wage share averaged 19.6%. Now, I didn't go back farther than that because... UFC really took off 2004, five, six, right? You had the ultimate fighter um, kind of boost the UFC's popularity massively. And then you had that exponential growth that GIF talks about in this article uh, where in 2014, you had revenue at 14 million. I'm sorry, 2004, you had revenue at 14 million. 2005, uh, wait, let me see. Yeah, yeah, 2005 was 48 million, and then 2006, it was up to 180 million, right? That's crazy growth. So during those years, fighter wage share was pretty low, 2005 and 2006, particularly because you had explosive growth and you had a lot of contracts locked in, right? That type of thing. So it eventually, again, averaged out to about the 19.6% that we see in the most recent documents from 2007-2017. But we don't know about 2018 and beyond. And Gift touches on this a little bit in the article. Again, highly recommend reading the article. Lots of great insight here. Um, But essentially, we don't have that information, and it's tough because that 
it's arguably the most transformative time in the UFC. It's definitely the most as of late in the past decade or so. But you've got Endeavor buying a majority stake. You've got Endeavor then purchasing the company outright. You've got the ESPN deal. You've got huge sponsorships with Crypto.com. You've got um, international media rights up almost 100%. Uh, Gift says and touched on it a little bit in a previous article. Um, And then, again, based on UFC or rather Endeavor financials, we can kind of gather that – you know, 94% average annual increase over prior terms on new international media rights. That's huge. So you've got this booming industry. And we do know that there has been some changes within the UFC since the antitrust lawsuit was introduced. Um, Specifically, we know that the sunset clause was added in around 2017 contracts, which currently allows that if you now sign a contract regarding, or I'm sorry, regardless of the, Championship provisions, the tolling, the added extra fights that that the UFC can find, ways to add more fights to your contract. If you sign a contract and you don't sign a new one within five years, then your contract ends no matter what. That supersedes these other championship clauses and these tolling provisions that we've seen kind of kept fighters in the UFC, at least, in perpetuity. Or if you kept winning, if you were a champion and kept winning, you could never get out of your contract. That was just the way the contract was written and no one really ever challenged it in court too much. Uh, You had Eddie Alvarez challenge his contract in Bellator to kind of move to the UFC, but nobody in the UFC really went to court and fought this to really see if that would hold up. So it just kind of stayed the way it was. Um, So again, we know there have been some changes since Endeavor took over, whether or not fighter wage share has increased or not is hard to tell. It's unlikely Right. I mean, part of the presentation pitch deck that the UFC was using when trying to find a buyer basically said that fighter costs were going to be capped at 20%. That was the entire revenue scheme. This was, hey, buy us, invest in us, and, you know, here's how we're keeping costs down. Fighters are never going to get more than 20% of revenue. So, it's very unlikely that that has changed. It might have, right? Especially with all the scrutiny the endeavors come over lately. Um, you, you've got Jake Paul interfering. You've got some analysts on earnings calls bringing it up. Uh, they may be upping that, but again, since Endeavor owns the company outright, they can mask the numbers slightly. We know that the own sports properties is mostly the UFC when we talk about Endeavor's financial earnings, but we don't know the exact breakdown. And they can kind of use that as a PR shield to say like, oh, well, you don't know the specifics of our own sports properties. Here, Here's the, you know, overall, but you don't know the exact breakdown here. You don't know the just the UFC's financials. And they can kind of, you know, use that as a, as a shield. And R.A. Manuel, when he responded to that analyst question, and as we've seen several defenders of fighter pay talk about, is fighter pay has gone up. It's true. Fighter pay has gone up as revenue for the UFC has gone up. But again, it's an interesting caveat because you're capped at 20% of wage share. So there, there's this other question as should fighters be earning more, especially because they are the product should they get a bigger piece of the pie? You've got a lot of people arguing yes. You've got a fair, surprising amount of people arguing no. Um, but it's it's an interesting caveat because the other thing we haven't seen here is is what happens if the UFC has a down year, right? I've I've told you before on other podcasts my personal views that we are headed towards a recession eventually. I mean we will for sure hit a recession eventually because that's just how the market works, right? There's always these cyclical times. Um, Can't say when, but there will be a downturn at some point in the market. That's just how this goes. And when that happens, especially with the UFC pay-per-views now being as high as they are, um, especially with some other things, you know, UFC is insulated there for sure, but if they did have a bad year for whatever reason, right? Let's say ratings 
suddenly dropped a bunch of people dropped ESPN plus pay-per-views were not being bought. Um, for whatever reason, UFC falls out of favor. And when they go to renew their media rights deal in 2026, I believe, um, they, they have trouble. Well, if fighter pay is capped at 20% of revenue and the revenue drops, does that mean fighter pay drops too? Does that mean that they cut more fighters in order to keep that at 20% overall? I think that'd probably be the more likely scenario, right? Because no one's going to be like, great, my contract has gone up 20K, 20K, and all of a sudden UFC has a terrible year and I'm still fighting and they want me to fight for less. Like, hmm, that doesn't make sense. No. Um, it's hard to hard to roll that back. It's it is something that I've preached many a times in my consulting business, as well as on here in the earlier episodes. Is once you set a new standard for your contractors, your employees, what have you, it is very hard to roll that back. Right? If you offer your employees free lunch to come work at company XYZ and say, yeah, we got free lunch. We got ping pong, all this stuff, which is a big thing. A lot of tech companies did prior to the pandemic. If you're not making the revenue and all of a sudden you've got to stop offering free lunches, you stop offering that stuff. You get a lot of disgruntled workers, even if they didn't use the free lunches that that much, even if they didn't use the ping pong table that much, it's bad perception and it causes bad morale. It's, It's a problem. And so it's unlikely that they'll, roll the roll contracts back and instead they'll more likely cut more fighters and have more contender series guys come up and then pay them in smaller increments. Right. But I think the big takeaway from this article is, is yes, we don't know from 2018 and beyond. We can't, at least not right now. If we have uh, judge Bulware making a decision, opening up more of these financial docs that, were sealed that he was going to open to the public um, and he had some objections there, but it sounded like he was going to dismiss them and open up this information to be just free into the public anyway. If he does open the coffer, so to speak, then we'll have better information on what wage share actually is, what's going on in more recent times since Endeavor has taken over. But until then, it's probably a safe assumption to assume that between the fact that for 11 years of information that we do have, weight share was around 19, 20%. And the fact that the investors presentations that were done prior to the UFC being sold highlighted the fact that fighter pay was going to be capped at 20%. Probably, you know, I don't know. You probably can make the assumption that fighter pay is capped at 20%. So, if you see people again arguing, no, like fighter pays higher than that, you get all these backroom bonuses. Highly unlikely, highly, highly unlikely. It's possible, but highly unlikely that you know you've got over twenty percent wage share for fighters. Now that doesn't mean that some of the bigger stars are now making more money than they did before, right? You had Adesanya and Masvidal talk about signing new contracts and being like top five paid in the UFC. Adesanya apparently getting the most lucrative contract um, in the UFC recently, that type of stuff. I imagine they're probably throwing more money at those top stars, sure. But beyond that, right, you're going to see more of these middle card guys or veterans who are longer in the tooth get cut. And you're going to see more contender series guys, guys coming in in 10K, 10K or 12K, 12K. That's that's what's happening. Look at the next couple fight nights we have. Right? Even look at last weekend's fight night. I mean, you had two contender series vets in the co-main event. It speaks to the overall business plan. Wage share is going to be capped at 20%. How that wage share is divided amongst individual fighters, that will vary greatly. But I would imagine it stays at 20%. That's my two cents on the whole fighter wage share thing. All right. Next thing I want to discuss is an article that is actually from November of 2020 that I had missed. Uh, somebody brought to my attention this past week about the UFC pay-per-view bar business. And it goes on to 
discussed. This is at frontofficesports.com, uh, titled UFC Adapts Events, Pay-Per-View Bar Business Amid Pandemic. It goes on to discuss at the time how, you know, bars are handling it, how that's all happening. Um, but I, I think there's some great insight here that I, I believe I missed. And if I didn't, and I talked about it in an earlier episode, I apologize. If you're a, you know, FPP fanatic, feel free to call me out on this. I don't recall talking about this. But it gives us some insight into the UFC pay-per-view bar business, which... Again, if you go to your local bar and they're showing the UFC pay-per-view, they're doing that through a company called Johan Promotions, which has been the UFC's partner forever. And essentially, that bar is paying a fee based on total capacity. And that's maybe why they'll give you a cover sometimes, or maybe there's not a cover, but they'll ideally recoup that in drinks and and food and all of that stuff. Um, if you think back to the what I call the golden days of UFC pay-per-view bars, um, which was, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings had all the pay-per-views and back in 2008, 9, 10, you had, you know, Anderson Silva fighting. Um, I remember going to a packed bar, like literally brim to brim uh, to watch uh, Shogun versus Machida. Shogun versus Machida. Um, Two. They had back-to-back fights on that. Showing my age. Uh, but again, it, it's a huge part of the UFC business model and was for the longest time. Now that they have the ESPN deal and ESPN Plus deal, it's it's less important, but it was a major player in UFC revenue for a long time. And part of the reason why you saw it everywhere. Um, this article discusses that prior to the pandemic, about 8,000 locations around the world show UFC fights regularly. Um, and then it got cut to about 75% after the pandemic happened. And again, uh, this doesn't talk about when things started to reopen and vaccines happened because this was prior to vaccines being released. But, you know, that's what, 6,000 locations were still showing regularly. Uh, But it certainly talks about how Johan Promotions in here says that it's it's their strongest product. Um, Of all the products we sell, the UFC brand is is the strongest. Johan Junior, the company's president, said. Uh, the reason is, is that it's consistent and it comes to bar owners on a regular basis. It's almost like a series. While boxing is popular, it's not consistent. Maybe there's one or two a quarter. It's difficult to build a following. I'm not surprised that the UFC has remained in demand in the pandemic. That's an added in. Uh, it's durable. It's steady. It's consistent. The bar owners like that. They get great fights. It brings in a young demographic. So that tells you again why Johan has been their partner forever because it's their strongest part product but it, it really talks and shows a little bit more about that side of the business this article does um, if you are a bar owner I will say I've seen an uptick recently as restrictions have kind of lifted as the Omicron wave has, has subsided for the most part you know, things are going back to normal in the U S they just recently had the uh, mask mandate struck down. So things are really starting to ramp back into normal, normal times or pre COVID times rather. And with that, um, again, I've seen an uptick in bars showing the UFC fights, not as many pre pandemic, I would say, and still not comparable to, you know, when Buffalo wild wings was showing everything and, and it, pay-per-views UFC bar pay-per-views were everywhere, but still a huge amount. Um, And again, the, one of the things that sticks out here is that during the pandemic, according to this article, uh, UFC cut fees because you had limited, limited capacity in bars, right? You had that 50% capacity in certain places, depending on which straight state you lived in, depending on your city, all of that you in the U S anyway, you had, limited amount of capacity and thus your fees were cut because the way that it's calculated is based on capacity. It doesn't matter how many people actually show up and watch the fights. It's if your bar has a capacity for a thousand people, your fee is this. If it has a capacity for 500, your fee is this, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a very old article that talks about, you know, in the heyday when people were illegally streaming it and they used to pay people. I don't know that they still do this, but they used to pay people to travel across the country and find these bars that were illegally streaming the pay-per-views. 
so that they could find them. The UFC used to pay people. And that, again, probably was because that deal was so important for UFC revenue at the time. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if they cut back on that. Maybe they still do it. I mean, I could see it, but um, wouldn't be shocked at all if they cut back on that and you had uh, less less concern about bar piracy because it's it's I'm sure harder to do in a lot of regards and it's probably not worth you know if we're talking about a backwoods bar in the middle of nowhere um, showing fights for a local small town it's probably not worth sending a guy across country to go search all of these towns to make sure that pay-per-views aren't being shown illegally because you couldn't even even if you went after them how much money are you even going to get right probably not worth the the cost benefit analysis but Again, I wanted to highlight this because I had missed this originally, and it it really shows just, A, how strong the pay-per-view bar business was prior to the pandemic, and even during the pandemic. I mean, keeping 75% of your pay-per-view business at bars when you had limited capacity and you had several bars hurting, all this stuff, I mean, that, that's, that's pretty great. Uh, and then, B, how it works, Right. It's not a, you pay a flat fee. It's it's based on capacity seating. And I have talked about that before a little bit, but I mean, again, just goes to show, you know, that essentially this type of stuff is still an important player and an important revenue driver for pay-per-views. Um, I, I know that especially as, as the price of pay-per-views has gone up, if anything, you may get an increase in the amount of bars showing this because more people are likely to have that appetite. At $75 a pop, if I don't have friends to watch the pay-per-view with, I'm much more likely to go to a bar and sit down and you know have a couple drinks, have food, and watch the fights in an atmosphere with other people watching fights and I'll still end up paying way less than I did than if I paid for the pay-per-view at home, right? I'm probably not going to go to a bar. Depends on which bar you're talking about, but I'm probably not going to go to a, a local bar and spend $75 in one night unless I'm getting hammered, which I'm too old to do that. Uh, I'm much more likely to go, again, if there's syrup food, have some food, have a drink or two, maybe ends up being 20, 30, 40 bucks, maybe if you're there for everything, prelims and all. And you get to watch the fights and, and save money and you get a meal out of it. I mean, it, it makes sense that this is kind of, again, the, the strong part of, of the commercial side of the pay-per-view business makes a lot of sense. I don't know how the movie theaters are doing. I don't know how they come into this, right? Cause that's another thing is you've got lots of movie theaters now showing pay-per-views, which is pretty cool. I haven't gone to one yet. I do want to at some point, especially around here. They've got the Alamo Draft Houses, which are fantastic, and they're showing um, some of these pay-per-views. So I do want to try that out. I don't know how that factors into this, but still, bar pay-per-view business is, is important. It was important for a long time in the UFC revenue. Um, and this, again, just gives you an idea of how it all works and that type of thing. So I thought it would be interesting to bring that up. All right, guys, UFC Fight Night Lamos versus Andrade is more fun when you bet at BetUS.com. Use code SHIRDOG and get an incredible 125% bonus up to $2,500. Andrade is a clear favorite against Lamos, so get in now or even choose to bet on a win via TKO and increase your winnings. At BetUS.com, you can make the fights even more fun by betting throughout the fights. Start the fight at BetUS.com. Use code SHIRDOG. That's S-H-E-R-D-O-G. All right, next thing to talk about is Bellator 277. What a fight night. What a card. Um, just a goofy card all around, right? You had that banger of a fight um, with Socrates Hernandez, and I forget the other guy's name. Socrates just sticks in there, right? But just a fight of the year candidate with two unknown dudes slinging it in there, which was awesome on the prelims. Uh, and then you had the co-main, which was terrible with the accidental headbutt that caused the fight to be a no contest uh, despite Corey Anderson seemingly clearly on his way to a decision victory or maybe even a TKO if things had kept going um, and then you had the main event with Pitbull winning back his belt in a I don't want to say controversial I know some people called it controversial I thought 
Pitbull won that one. Uh, but in, in a not exactly super exciting fight. Um, yeah, it, it obviously has a lot of business implications for Bellator, right? Going into this fight card, we talked last week about how there seemed to be a lack of marketing, right? And how there probably wasn't good ROI, especially, you know, you're on Showtime. McKee and Pipple are not drawing in numbers. I mean, at least not casual viewers the way that you'd ideally hope. So there wasn't a ton of marketing here. That actually is probably a good thing for Bellator in this case. This scenario is probably one of the worst that could happen business-wise. In the lead-up to this fight, you had, especially the main event, you had Scott Coker saying in the press conference, you know, send over uh, Volkanovsky, send over some of these UFC guys for, you know, uh, a one-fight contract or what have you. Like, we'll show them that we've got the best here, right? We've got the best guys. Um, At the end of McKee versus Pitbull 2, I think it was clear to most everyone that Volkanovsky and Holloway would easily easily beat either of those guys and that a lot of the top UFC featherweights probably would have a good shot at it too. Um, I mean, you had, you had a, a good technical fight, but both guys were just gassed by rounds four and five and, and they'd been throwing, don't get me wrong. Right. They, they'd been throwing and, and especially had some big exchanges um, so it's not super surprising, but you, both guys being that tired by four and five shows a, a huge problem for either of them against Volkanovsky and Holloway who have endless cardio t- gas tanks. Right. Um, and, and again, you just had some mistakes by both guys that I think it just seemed, especially after Volkanovsky's last fight, right, where he just picked apart Korean Zombie in the worst of ways. I, I cannot see McKee or Pitbull challenging him or Holloway at all. I think both Holloway and, and Volkanovsky steamroll McKee and Pitbull. And that's a big thing because up until that fight this past week, you weren't sure. You could say, yeah, I believe that Volkanovski gets through this. You get, you know, you could say, I think Holloway competes, like, et cetera, et cetera. I think McKee destroys Volk. You, you could say a lot of that stuff. And there was this ambiguity to it. You didn't really know because we we hadn't seen weakness in, in McKee at all. And we hadn't really seen that much weakness in Pitbull. We'd seen Pitbull have some fantastic performances, right? Just look great. Um, so it was hard to really say without a shadow of a doubt that, you know, the UFC had the best featherweights in the world. I believed at the time that Volkanovski and Holloway would win, but I couldn't say it for sure. I wouldn't say like, oh, I'm a hundred percent sure. And I mean, it is the fight game, right? So you're never a hundred percent. There's always, you know, a puncher's chance. There's always things can go wrong with somebody being injured going into a fight. Um, you know, as we saw with Aljo and, and Piotr Jan, right? Like Aljo comes back and, and looks way better than he did in the first fight. Uh, said he was injured in the, in the first fight as well. There, there's always those circumstances, but this kind of close the door on that and so from a business perspective this hurts bellator's brand pretty hugely i mean with the casual audience because there probably wasn't a lot of casual fans watching maybe not so much but with the hardcore audience it definitely drops you down and for anyone that was you know kind of a casual viewer watching my guess is if they have watched Volkanovski and Holloway at any point, and then they'd seen that fight, they would say, oh yeah, these guys aren't as good as those other guys in the UFC. And, and you're not going to attract new casual viewers now with that. Either of those guys is champion, to be honest, I think. And that's a big, big blow because Bellator had obviously been hyping up and pumping up 
you know, that they had the best featherweights in the world. I mean, that's what McKee said in the press conference. Coker, again, inviting cross-promotion. You, you heard a lot more cross-promotion talk since McKee took the belt because he's undefeated, had looked flawless in all of his victories, right? I mean, it's it's not shocking. It's not shocking that they would go with that narrative because then it starts to elevate their brand. It starts to ask the question, well, what if McKee did go over and fight Volkanovski? What would that look like? Or what if Pitbull, you know, did? And and Pitbull less so, especially after he lost pretty pretty clearly to McKee in round one of their first fight. But yeah, I mean, McKee was beginning to gain momentum and starting to make a case that maybe he was the best featherweight in the world and people couldn't challenge it as much. Now I think people can easily challenge it. And McKee had already said, right, that he he's talked about, he's hinted at going to the UFC. He probably will at some point, but it's it's rough. It's it's rough for him. He's now also said, despite saying, you know, he could beat any 145er in the world, he's now said, oh, I want to be at 155. No, I'm not going to do this at 145 anymore, blah, blah, blah. That is also a terrible look. It, it, it hurts Bellator's brand image and that notion that Bellator could has fighters that can compete with UFC fighters, it hurts it badly. Because really, outside of light heavyweight and featherweight, those divisions seem to be clearly in the UFC's favor. But you had those two divisions, feather 145, 205, be kind of a question mark until last week. So that's rough. And then we got to talk about light heavyweight too. Um, light heavyweight, that that ending was not great. And again, you had Corey Anderson probably on his way to winning, which only hurts the Bellator can compete with the UFC brand as well because Corey Anderson was in the UFC and he never won the belt, right? He got starched by Jan. Um, did he get starched by Jan? No, no, never mind. I think he beat Jan. Uh, but he's, he got starched by a couple of people, right? He, light heavyweight is is unpredictable. Um and and he you know had troubles, he really did. Um, I mean, it's just one of those things where if that's the case, I gotta look this up to know about Corey Anderson. Um, but if that's the case, where you've already gone and competed in the UFC and you weren't able to get the belt there, if you win the belt in Bellator, then. That's great, but it just makes it seem like Bellator's homegrown light heavyweights aren't as good as the UFC's. Yes, he did get KO'd by Jan. That's right. Uh, in 2020, that was his last UFC fight. He was on that you know, four-fight win streak, and then he got KO'd by Jan. And, and yeah, he beat Glover Teixeira in a unanimous de- decision. And he, again, if you, if you asked me in a fight going into 2022, uh, Glover is the champ versus... Corey, I'd probably slightly lean Corey, but I don't know because he Glover has looked way better recently. Um, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's it's great that he has a win over the current UFC champion and that he's you know competed in the UFC well, but he's never held the belt in the UFC. And again, the casual perce- perception will always be, well, that's great, you beat him once before, but he's gotten better, blah blah blah, and they won't, you know. They, they don't go into the details. They don't know like us MMA hardcores, all of the details surrounding how fights went in the past. They, they might not even realize that Corey and Glover fought at any point. So all they're going to see is like, here's a guy in the UFC and what they'll, a lot of casual people would probably say is watch out, even though that's not true. <laughs> um, but, you know, essentially here's a guy in the UFC who never held the belt. And now he's holding the belt in Bellator. Right, Ryan Bader was the same case. Ryan Bader is still the heavyweight champion. It's that's that's tough. That is tough to reconcile um, for a casual fan because it's it's hard not to just make that comparison. And the UFC will point that out too if they were ever pressed and they cared enough to to answer that. Is well, yeah, some of our guys are getting belts over in Bellator. Great, we've got the best fighters in the world here. They didn't get belts here. Hard to argue with that. So the perception is is pretty terrible. Um, it really hurts Bellator's push 
to say that they are making inroads against UFC quality fights, fighters rather. Um, and that's again, not to say we've seen Michael Chandler come over and, and starch Dan Hooker and have very competitive fights against Charles Oliveira and Justin Gaethje. So we know that there are great Bellator fighters that can easily compete in the UFC, but from a PR public perception image, it's still now more than ever UFC is number one, Bellator number two. And yes, Lord Mack is going to push the, the PFL as number two and all that, but we're not going to get into that. Um, it, it's yeah, it, it's a huge blow. And the only thing the Bellator can do in this instance, now that, you know, that illusion is shattered, so to speak, the only thing they can really do here is push for push for new homegrown talent and to build out their build out their divisions in a way that they start to add depth to their roster. I think that is is a major valid criticism of Bellator right now is is you look at any any one division and the top three to five guys could easily compete with anybody in the world. You get beyond that and becomes a little less clear, right? Um, really, in, in some divisions in particular, it just becomes a, a mess of really you're ranked in Bellator at that rank, uh, right? It, it's not great. So I think building out more depth, building out more home guys, homegrown guys is still still the move, it's just a matter of taking your time, developing them correctly. I mean, look at what Aaron Pico did, right? And and giving him the platform he needed to grow, doing that more often. Um, I think that's more of your best bet. You could also look at opening up new divisions that the UFC doesn't have. You could do a 165. You could do a 155, right? To, obviously, they were pursuing Kayla Harrison pretty hard. Kayla versus Cyborg would have been a massive fight. And, you know, Bellator's featherweight division is better than the UFC's. I would say easily the best in the world right now because they actually have featherweights and depth to it. But it's building out those other divisions where you don't have to compete as much with the UFC and taking your homegrown talent and and continuing to add depth. I think that's the best long-term strategy short-term you can't do anything except hype up your fights uh promote guys that may have star power right give mvp a little bit more of a push um you give pico a little bit more of a push that type of stuff can't do anything about mckee now you you probably do the trilogy i don't know if you do it at 155 like he's saying uh you, you maybe push patricio pitbull as being you know one of the best ever which he is i mean he's, he's never lost a rematch He's, he's made huge adjustments to beat McKee in that last fight. I mean, you keep pushing him as as the greatest of all Bellator fighter, and you continue to find new ways to beef up your roster while pushing your stars, which is, you know, any, any MMA promotion should follow that advice. But for Bellator long-term, I think it's, it's adding more depth needs to be a priority because at least amongst the hardcore fans, it's pretty clear that outside of the top five in any division, you're kind of getting in the weeds and in some divisions, it's even less than that. Right. Um, But you've got to find ways and tournaments like the grand prix are great. That's been an exciting way to introduce people in and to, you know, add some excitement, keep doing that type of stuff. But you've got you've got to have more depth, and you've got to also you know market your stars a little bit better. I know you're behind Showtime. I know there's probably less ROI. We talked about that all last week. Um, but you've got to push for Bellator being a true alternative to the UFC, and you don't really have a unique advantage you can play. Right? Um, tournaments are great. That's I mean that's what Bellator really started on. Right? Was just nonstop tournaments. You can use that trick as much as you want but at some point you're gonna have to figure out something new and whether that's more international fights and fighters whether that's um you know pushing certain guys that have appeal in doing boxing crossovers 
I don't know, but you got to go back to the drawing board and you've got to, to, to reassess. Cause this was a big blow brand image wise, even though Bellator will never say it was, um, I mean, this hurts, this hurts them. So yeah, not a great time for Bellator, uh, bad, bad nights overall for, for the guys in red, I guess. Yeah. Red over there. It's yeah, not, a, not a great time. All right. Next thing to talk about is an announcement that I almost put on quick hits, but after thinking about it, this is a larger discussion we can have here from a business perspective. Uh, Professional Fighters League announced on Monday a partnership with gaming platform Rival. Uh, so this is a press press release. I'm looking at GoRival.com. Um Rivals Enterprise Solution will provide the PFL and its fans with the ability to host competitive tournaments in their community along with future esports initiatives. A winner of the first tournament hosted on the rival gaming platform will receive a private match hosted by 2021 PFL light heavyweight champion Antonio Carlos Jr. Uh, you got PFL CEO Peter Murray saying the PFL is proud to partner with Rival Embrace Esports in a specialized gaming community, giving MMA fans unprecedented connectivity. In this first-of-its-kind partnership, the PFL continues to disrupt traditional MMA, embrace technology, and give our fans a unique experience. Not first-of-its-kind. One's already done it, but still, it is a big deal. Uh, Rival CMO Dan Paris has said, we are thrilled to welcome PFL and their passionate fan base to the Rival platform. Uh, PFL continues the trend of creativity, innovation with corporate sponsors, et cetera, et cetera. So the reason I think this is important to note, right, is is this is another company outside the UFC, at least, that is is pushing a, a esports gaming partnership, and I think this is only going to continue. Um, I believe it was on an episode of Show Money where uh, Paul Gift had had wondered if part of the reason they were making money was the esports component for one championship, getting new rounds of funding and everything of that nature. Um, and he had mentioned, you know, that I had said something along those lines. He wasn't sure, but I fe- feel like this is a overlooked part of an overlooked part of the not only MMA space, but I guess partnership space in most sporting industries. Right? Um, esports is booming. Esports is is just out of control booming. And I feel like a lot of people don't realize it. I know prior to the pandemic, you would have more people like having esports streams and you could go and watch people play esports. And that was kind of on the rise, but it was sort of in the background, wasn't really mainstream. Had a couple of a couple of announcements. And you know, if you go on places like Reddit, you'll see, you know, big like, oh, so and so moved League of Legends teams and all this stuff, right? You know, you, you saw it, but it didn't seem that big. But in 2021, the global esports industry was valued at more than one billion U.S. dollars, which is a 50 percent increase from 2020. And the pandemic, I think, only boot, you know, only only made the boom bigger because a bunch of people were stuck at home. Depending on where you lived, you're stuck at home for a lot longer than some. Uh, but you know, a bunch of people stuck at home playing video games and and yes, working and all that stuff. But especially kids right when you couldn't go out you couldn't go to school do those things i mean i know my nephew played more video games than he ever had i would imagine most other kids did too and and if i was in high school at the time this was happening i definitely would have been playing video games all the time right like makes perfect sense so they've had a massive increase uh, they're also projected the esports industry is forecasted to grow by more than 1.64 billion US dollars by 2024. It's a huge booming industry. There's a reason that Demetrius Johnson has been super into gaming. There's a reason that you have a bunch of professional wrestling people doing Twitch streams, getting more in it. There's a lot of money to be made. It's a giant booming space. One championships esports division. I feel like, again, is most of their revenue generating arm. I mean, they held the Dota uh, Dota 2 giant tournament. I believe that was 2020 or right before the pandemic, but that was a big one to win. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if you looked, cracked open one's books and you saw esports was a huge boost in revenue. 
I feel like for this partnership, again, it's similar to what AEW just did, doing an AEW uh, gaming channel, professional uh, wrestling uh, group. Um, I'm. It's similar to what WWE has done. It's similar to UFC has done some of this, right? UFC has done Twitch streams uh, where they talk about fights. They do UFC three or four, all that stuff. But um, you know, it, it's one of those things where this is only going to continue and only going to grow. I feel like the the industry is still very much on a booming path, even though things have opened up now. You've got people that really want to be professional esports players, and why not? There's finally money in it. If I had had the opportunity as a kid uh, to be a professional video game player, I probably would have tried to do it, to be honest. Um, Glad I didn't for many other reasons. Uh, Probably my health, because I was very big at the time. But, I mean, you've got a ton of people that, again, are going to be into this industry. And it only seems to be growing. And you have things like Madden, you know, having those giant tournaments and having the NFL, you know, get involved with that, like, you have those those things taking off. Video games are only going to get better and better. You got VR making huge strides. It's it's going to be a giant partnership opportunity for any industry. And MMA is no different. I think PFL making this particular uh, partnership it, it is just natural because this is, again, another segment that they can kind of focus in on and be more niche and you don't have giant competition from other MMA players. You've got one championship. You have, you have some UFC, but it's not, they don't focus heavily on it. At least from what I've seen, I have to maybe look deeper into that, but I know, I know they have some UFC, you know, five or UFC four um, tournaments, whatever. Yeah. See, I don't even know which game they're on. Um, I, I know they have some, some tournaments and they've had a couple of, you know, things on their Twitch channel and all of that. Sure. But it's it's not really making a big partnership with with EA and doing you know a gaming type of community type thing. And who knows? This might just be again a press release where it's like, oh, it's going to be this big thing, and then really it's just PFL fighters doing hosting some tournaments, showing up at a couple of tournaments, that type of stuff. But it could very well be a bigger deal where they're getting more involved in the esports market, and that. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. BFL has been very innovative in their ability to kind of capture these niche adjacent markets and and take their product and enter adjacent markets and and be semi-successful with them, right? Uh, PFL token, where it was like $2 per token that allowed you to vote on certain things and and be a special holder. Those sold out very quickly. They raised a lot of money. I want to say $500,000. I forget the exact amount. I have to look it up, but they, they sold out quickly. They made a ton of money. Um, that's, that's what you need to do. And that will help PFL get into the black and continue to actually be a force in the industry. I mean, we know from ESPN their new ESPN deal, they're making, I think around $10 million. So it's, it's a significant increase compared to what they were making before. But, you know, if they can keep entering these side markets, they're more likely to attract fans of esports, right? And and show their product and market advertise to, to customers that may not be getting exposure otherwise and capture extra revenue where they're not trying to fight UFC, Bellator, one a little bit, but, you know, that's... It's a different realm. It's a different world. It, it makes all the sense sense in the world that they're doing this partnership and that they're they're trying this. So I wanted to highlight that a little bit more just because, again, this, I believe, is only going to continue. I think you're going to see Bellator eventually sign something. I would be shocked if you don't see UFC launch a giant gaming sphere esports community at some point down the line. Um, providing that the growth continues because it's too much money and too big an industry not to get more involved in, especially because there is not one or two esports you know companies dominating everything. You've got so many different games people can play. You've got so many you know entries into the market and lower barrier to entries, especially if you're the UFC, right? Who already has games being video games being made of your product. 
it makes all the sense of the world that you enter in. So expect to see more of these types of partnerships. Um, I think it's a good, good job by the PFL and a good, again, adjacent market they can kind of get into and build out where they're not facing as much competition now, because I think the competition will eventually get there, but it helps them get revenue in the meantime and helps them, you know, stay in the green. All right. Last thing I want to cover today to end this episode, good deal, bad deal. According to the PFL, I believe it was Don Davis, the championship of the season, this upcoming season will be, behind pay-per-view is that a good deal or bad deal for both consumers and the pfl does it make sense business-wise um there's a couple of things we don't know about the pay-per-view structure yet right we don't know if it's going to be exclusively through espn plus we don't know what the cost of the pay-per-views will be uh you gotta think it's going to be less than the ufc if it's not whoo um but that but that is a big factor right is it going to be 20 bucks 30 is it going to be 50 we don't really know that um and we don't know how many of these pay-per-views there's going to be or when the championship is so a lot of x factors here let's make some general assumptions and and go with it though let's assume that the pay-per-view is at least 20 bucks minimum 20 dollar pay-per-view um Let's assume that the championship is not going to be on a uh, night with other big sporting events, which is probably safe to assume that they're going to try to avoid that, especially if it's pay-per-view. And let's assume that we'll, we'll go, you know, a little liberal here, and let's let's assume that you can buy this pay-per-view not only through ESPN+, Plus, but through your TV, your, you know, regular cable provider, what have you. You've got multiple options, multiple avenues to buy this pay-per-view, so it's got maximum exposure. Pros and cons. For the consumer, obviously, you now have a event that used to be free or, or behind the ESPN Plus streaming, right? Um, now become... A cost that's never a good deal for the consumer <laughs> right uh when they change the rules and they all of a sudden oh by the way you know it used to be that you could just check your bags for free but now you got to pay twenty dollars or thirty dollars to check your bag on a flight yeah that's never good from the consumer's perspective uh it's 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 a bummer um and again we're not talking about a special pay-per-view product that's maybe kayla harrison versus cyborg right what they're obviously trying to get done um that, that we've never seen before, and it's a special added product. This is your normal product or service now being put behind an extra pay paywall, pay barrier. That's always a bad deal for the consumer. So that's easy enough to say from the consumer side. From the PFL side, it gets a little bit more complicated. Um, the extra revenue that could come from the pay-per-views could be big uh could and and it's more than you were getting prior right um unless you have a deal that's exclusively with espn where you have to hit a certain amount of numbers and then you get a cut similar to what they did with the ufc which we're not assuming that here uh but otherwise you know you're getting a, a chunk of money for a service that you were delivering before not for free but that was significantly cheaper and now you're getting a boost so even if you only get I don't know, 40,000 buys, that's still, you know, at $20 a pop, that's still, what, $800,000? I mean, that's more than, $800,000 more than you were getting before. Um, you know, that's that's hard to turn down and hard not to say, oh, that's a good deal for the P PFL. But the real question is, is, are people going to pay for a PFL pay-per-view even at $20? And this is where looking at all the factors, I'm inclined to say, no, you're going to get some buys, right? Some people will buy it. Even if it's just the fighters, friends and family, um, you know, you will have a certain amount of people buy this, but 
I think it's far more likely you have people ignore it or pirate it. I think that'll be the most likely scenario. Um, from the ratings that we've seen, from the numbers that we we know, PFL isn't drawing in a ton of casual viewers. They're not penetrating the market, even as well as, say, Bellator did when they were on uh, terrestrial TV and all of that stuff. So, yes, while they will have some some viewers that will pay, a lot more will most likely find illegal streams, or if they don't know how to do that, they'll probably just let it go. Um, you will have hardcores that, that will buy this pay-per-view. Uh, you will have media that will buy this pay-per-view because they have the ability to do so. It's their job, right? That's going to happen. But you're not going to get a huge return here um, in pay-per-view buys. At least I don't believe so, especially for a, a product that you were already essentially giving away not for free, but for one upfront cost, monthly upfront cost uh, already. You've now added in that extra paywall. Unless you combine them, which I could see them trying to, again, do uh, super fights or their super fight division or whatever, doing the super fights on the championship card. Then there's a little bit more incentive, but we've seen when you've had bigger events on pay-per-view before and they've struggled uh bellator new york right was pay-per-view you had tito and chael you had a couple of other big names fight and it didn't do very well and that was a much more stacked card than probably what pfl will get together uh it's depends on the breakdown of the deal on the back end right if if this is literally a thing where part of that extra five million dollars they got from espn was so that they could let espn do the pay-per-views exclusively and have that similar UFC deal, then it's a great deal for the PFL because you got the guaranteed revenue and you don't have to worry about them not selling a ton. ESPN eh, gets hurt a little bit, but assuming that is not the case, it's going to be rough. Um, that's the real X factor here. It's a good deal if if they got the ESPN type deal similar to the UFC then it's great for them because it's guaranteed revenue. It's already done. Doesn't matter how many people buy it or not. They're getting paid. If they didn't, I think between production costs and how many views they're actually going to get and how they'd have to split the revenue might not be the best. But then again, it's still probably more than zero, which is what they would have had not behind the pay-per-view, right? So depends on what the increase in production costs is. Um, so I'm going to say that it's unlikely there's going to be a lot of buys for the pay-per-view finale, uh, championship finale, that most likely a lot of people are going to pirate, complain. But overall, and it's a bad deal for the consumer, but overall for the PFL, I'm going to lean on a good idea. Good deal. Not good idea. Good deal. Um, because, again, as long as their additional cost for putting on the pay-per-view is met, then even... If they they get three or four buys above that, that's still free money for them that they weren't getting before, right? Their ESPN is getting the ESPN subscribers and, and that service. So that's kind of built, built and baked into the media rights deal that PFL already has with ESPN. If, if they're under the same arrangement that ESPN has with the UFC, then they're getting a great deal because that's an extra X amount of million dollars that honestly, I don't think is going to pay off for ESPN and may hurt them when media rights come up again, but for the short term, great deal. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm going to say bad deal consumers, good deal. PFL, despite a lot of people, scratching their heads being like what they're gonna do this like yeah i know it sucks for us watching but for the from a business perspective yeah i think they're probably getting extra revenue out of this so it's a good deal all right who are you betting on at ufc fight not lemos versus andrage can amanda lemos beat the odds and defeat andrage or is the brazilian winning a given get your bets on this weekend at betus.com use code SureDog and get 125 percent bonus betus.com has been taking bets for well over 25 years and there's a reason it's the number one ufc sportsbook with more betting options live betting at games betus.com is your new home for ufc betting 
Start the fight at BetUS.com. Use code SHERDOG. That's S-H-E-R-D-O-G. All right, guys, that wraps up another episode of the Fight Business Podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit that like, subscribe, share notification button. Uh, appreciate you guys watching, as always. If you're listening on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, what have you, really appreciate it, as always. Uh, make sure, again, that if you have any questions to hit me up, uh, I want to know your thoughts in the comments uh, on YouTube or on Twitter regarding uh, are you buying the PFL pay-per-view? That one I really want to know. Um, are you going to buy the championship finale? pay-per-view because i got i gotta know what the appetite is for my listeners to to actually buy that uh and then let me know how you you know think that bellator did this past weekend does it really affect your view on bellator do you agree with my analysis that it's going to hurt their overall brand image and lastly do you go to ufc pay-per-view bars or bars that show ufc pay-per-views is probably an easier way to say it sorry long morning but yeah do you do you do you go to a bar to watch UFC pay-per-views? Let me know if you do that too, just to get an idea of you know how many people are actually showing up because bars are paying based on capacity. So let me know that as well. But thanks, you guys, for listening. Love you all. And until next time, get that money.